The 2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards, and that was uh, uh, our, one of our co-producers, Mr. Larry Gassman, with uh, the, 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 the latest message that tells you guys not to listen to anything we say. Um, since it since it may conflict with uh, with the the gospel according to ACB, so we are so glad to have everybody here, and we are going to be talking this evening uh, about a topic that I, I'm actually surprised that we haven't done a whole show on before, and that is Braille. Now we're going to be talking about Braille in a, in a whole bunch of different form formats and. We're going to be talking about Braille in in all kinds of contexts. We're going to be talking about BRL, which stands for the Braille Revival League, which is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. I suppose one of the reasons why I haven't done a show on it before is I'm president of that organization, and I sort of felt a little like it it might be um it, it it might be self-serving if if we did a program on BRL, but some folks suggested that we ought to do that, and so hey presto, uh, we are. Um, we're also going to be talking about uh, the way that Braille is perceived by people, uh, both perceived by users and perceived by those people who aren't users. Some of the problems that Braille has, um, some of the some of the hugely exciting places that we are with regard to Braille now, because we truly are in a place that where we have never been before where Braille is concerned. And we'll, we'll talk some about what some of those places are before the evening is over. We have loads of people uh, who we hope will, will participate with us. But I guess to, to, to kick things off, um, one of the things that I did was to invite uh, some of the folks who are active Braille Revival League members uh, to come on and talk a little bit uh, about their experience with Braille. And, and I thought it might be interesting to start off perhaps with uh, an experience of Braille that occurred in one's formative years. And so to talk a little about that, I'd like to welcome to the panel of tonight's program, Mr. David Mandel from California. Hey, David. Hi, Paul. Glad to be here. Excellent. So you've had some experiences growing up in, in terms of Braille. So why don't you tell us about that and then tell us uh, to, to a degree to what Braille means to you as, uh, as, as an active adult in California. 
Okay. Uh, growing up, I remember uh, meeting a lot of people, mostly women who were volunteer Braillists in my area in Los Angeles and knew people who were learning Braille. And I remember there was one incident where we didn't really talk too much about accessibility when I was growing up in the 1950s and 1960s. But I was to, at one point, get braces. And I figured I'd heard from uh, my sighted friends that you, you, they had these pamphlets that, that they got from the orthodontist and you had all these rules to remember. And I figured, well, I wouldn't have to worry about it because I couldn't read it anyway. So I walked into the orthodontist office and uh, he said, he's giving me a lecture and telling me what to expect. He said, oh, and by the way, here's your brochure. It happened that one of my mother's best friends had become a Braille transcriber. Uh, she lived near the orthodontist office, and she came, got the brochure, and brailled it for me. So I was very ambivalent. On the one hand, I was thrilled to get the brochure that everybody else got, but I was also disappointed that I had to <laughs> worry about all the rules that you know I figured I wouldn't have to read. Um, <laughs> but but it was an exciting thing for me. And uh, also, I, I will say that I worked in radio for over 30 years. And I think without, as a reporter and also a, a news anchor and newscaster, and I, I don't think I could have ever done my job without Braille uh, at all. I tried, somebody said, well, why don't you try to pair it with headphones? And one day uh, I had a problem with my Brailler. It wasn't working. And I uh, was I was able to get a hold of another one. I tried parroting, and it doesn't. It just doesn't work for me. It's not the same thing. It, it, it doesn't work, though. Though I was fascinated. I read. I started reading a book, um, David, and you'll get this. And I, I am so in awe of this person. I started reading a book that was recorded by the author, who is blind, um, who says that she recorded it while listening to. A speech synthesizer in her ear. Yeah, and that's I, a great skill. <laughs> it's not one yeah. I could do. I, I'm I'm much happier with Braille. Thank you very much, yeah. David. Thank you very much, and and we'll probably talk a little bit later when we get into some more of the things that that BRL is working on. Um, Rick, um, Larry Johnson is in on the participant side. Can we throw him onto the panelist side? Uh, he's he's on the panelist side, Larry. Ah, so Larry, do you want to talk about how Braille has uh, has affected um, uh, affected you and and what your view of Braille is? Sure, thank you, Paul. And actually, I want to tell you at first, I hated Braille. Uh, I was required by my elementary school teacher, Miss Baker, to do Braille homework on the Slayton stylus every night when I was in second and third grade. And I despised it because I thought it was such a boring thing to do when I would much prefer to be outside playing tag or football or just having fun outside instead of being inside and punching little holes in paper well, <clears throat> I now say thank you, Ms. Baker, because Braille was uh, responsible for me to get through college and to go into my first uh, profession, which was radio. 
And the interesting thing about that is when I enrolled in my junior year of college and I chose radio and television as my major, I was uh, invited into the assistant dean's office who proceeded to tell me that I should pick a different major. He said, radio is going to be much too difficult for you as a blind person. And I said, oh, why is that? He said, well, the first thing is you're going to need to have to read commercials and news and and, and station breaks and things like that on, on the radio. <clears throat> and I said, well, I can do that with Braille. And he said, what's that? I happened to have in my briefcase a sample of Braille page, and I pulled it out, and I showed it to him, and I proceeded to read a couple of paragraphs. Well, I thought that would totally convince him. It didn't. He had other objections and reasons why he thought it wouldn't work. Uh, He said, you're going to need to be able to keep track of time to the second. And I showed him I had a an Ingersoll pocket watch, which uh, the cover had been removed and replaced with a hinged top. And I was able to feel the second hand move around that that dial without any difficulty. Uh, He still was not convinced, but but I did it anyway. And... uh, Braille allowed me to do those things that he said were impossible to do, to to read commercials and news. And so, yes, Braille has meant so very much to me. And, Larry, you've actually you've actually written books. And did you use Braille to write those books? Well, as a matter of fact, as you mentioned, the the woman who recorded her book by listening to it through her headphones. Uh Well, my very first book, I recorded for uh, uh, the Library of Congress by uh, first transcribing it into Braille. And so, yes, I read the entire book in Braille and recorded it. And I'm very, very pleased to say that I I don't know how many other blind authors there are on, on Bard, but I'm one of them. Yep, and and um, the, the your the history of your of your um, of your Mexican experience is in a book called Mexico by Touch. Is that right? Thank you, thank you very much for remembering. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you've also written a book about your your early childhood experiences, and that's called Something Inside um, Inside but, My World. Yes, yes. There you go. <clears throat> so. If if folks are interested in, in in reading about one kid's experience growing up and and how he ended up in in Mexico and then his experiences there, um, those those are two books that you that you might very well want to take a look at. Um, so, Larry, thank you so much, and and we'll be back to you later to talk about some other things. You bet. And I and I think you're also going to be joining us next week when we do some tr- political training. So. Um, we will we will have a chance to hear some of your wisdom um, next week as well. So thank you so much for spending some time with us. I'll enjoy that. Thank you. 
Excellent. So, Rick, could you promote um, Jane Corona from the membership section up to the panel for me? Mm-hmm. Jane Corona is uh, is the uh, treasurer of the Braille Revival League, and a little uh, later on, we'll let her do an unpaid commercial for how folks can join the Braille Revival League if you want to. And I think that it might be a good idea for us to talk a little bit about what the Braille Revival League is and what it does. Um, I, I am overjoyed with, um, with the Braille Revival League as it is evolving now. And it, it has everything to do with the board of directors that I have and uh, with the members that I have. <clears throat> I'm excited that, uh, that when, when we know we're going to talk about Braille, we have over 30 folks hanging out with us eventually may want to ask questions or raise issues. So I'm excited about that, which means this is a topic that interests you. So the Braille Revival League over the past uh, six to nine months has actually formed a number of committees. And we're trying to reimagine ourselves and reinvent ourselves. We're also um, trying to uh, create uh, new affiliates in a number of states. Uh, New York has has just become a, a state affiliate of the Braille Revival League, and we we also have affiliates in Florida, in Texas, um, in California, uh, sort of in Missouri and in Illinois. Um, so we're excited about that, and in Pen- Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. How could I leave that out? Um, so we're excited about that, and and uh, North Carolina and. Michigan are thinking about becoming affiliates, so we'll we'll see how all of that uh, ends up going. One of the activities that we do every um, other month on the third Wednesday, and we'll be doing it uh, later this month, is a, a thing called the Braille Buzz, and that means uh, we do a, a conference call, a Zoom call. Uh, that has to do with Braille, which which I host. Um, and we, we have done a pretty broad range of topics. And one of the topics that we did, um, oh gosh, it must be a couple of years ago now, though it may not be, um, was grade three Braille. For those of you who aren't Braille aficionados, most of you will know that uncontracted Braille or is generally referred to as grade one sometimes computer braille which has a slightly different notation grade 2 braille is is contracted braille that's essentially the braille that is used for producing most literary braille books and then there is a system that became pretty popular in the 1940s and 50s uh, once it was developed called grade 3 braille and um, there are a couple of grade three Braille books which are uh, actually downloadable from Bard, so folks can go get those if you want to do that. But one of the things that the Braille Revival League talked about when we did our Braille buzz on grade three Braille was we talked about the, the possibility uh, of setting up a program um, that would actually enable folks who wanted to learn grade three Braille um, to learn it. And after a a little while and after lots of organization, we are just about ready 
um, to preview our course in grade three Braille and to tell us a little about that it gives me great pleasure to welcome Friday. I keep saying you're from Iowa, Kristen, but you're from Nebraska, I think. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce, to tell us a little bit about uh, the grade three Braille course and when it's going to happen and what it's all about. Miss Kristen Steele. Hey, Kristen. Yes, and I'm actually from Iowa, so you were right the first time. Okay, but but, but it sounds like your 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 phone number sounds like a Nebraska one. It's Omaha. We're so close to Omaha that we got our cell phones gotcha. through Omaha. <laughs> but yeah, so we're very excited to kind of bring about something that's never happened for the last 20 years, maybe. I think Hadley discontinued their course in the late 90s, early 2000s. But Audrey Shading, I think she's on here, she and I had been corresponding for about a year or so, trying to get the groundwork for this course together. And it was during COVID, and now I had started back to my job with hospice care, and it was just hadn't been much downtime. But last few weeks, I've been putting together such a course again to get people who are interested And we had quite a bit of interest. It was June of 2020 when I did the original Braille Buzz with Constance Griesmer, who I see is on here tonight, which makes me really excited. But we had formed a email list. And so we, I think we still have about 20 or 25 subscribers who have held on. A couple people dropped out and said she's never going to get this going. But most of you have waited with me. And so this Thursday at 8 Central, 9 Eastern, we are having our first grade three Braille call. And I have the Hadley course book that a friend had lent me about a couple years ago. So I'll be modeling off of that. And I also have the key to grade three Braille. And then Audrey and Bob White, they know it a lot better than I do, but they have their knowledge. So we will be co-facilitating the three of us where I will start this week's call, and then after that, Audrey will instruct, and then hopefully Bob. But we're excited to make this sort of an online class and bring about grade three. We'll go pretty slow to start with the numbers and get everyone's feet wet, and then we'll kind of have discussions, exercises, a chance to say, you know, I want to practice this. Can I write to you? Or can I write to Audrey and mail us things? And that would be wonderful. But we're really excited to bring about something that's never happened before. And we hope it will be kind of a journey that you will embark on with us. So Kristen, tell us a little bit about what grade three Braille is and why why people have used it. It's a form of shorthand, and I am a licensed massage therapist, and how I got interested in grade three Braille is I'm constantly taking notes between clients, and they're notes for me. They're not notes that anyone's going to read until I put them into a chart or do something more with them. 
but grade three Braille <laughs> is a system that you can write shorthand. So using less symbols, using less space for note taking, say you're taking a college course, or maybe you're writing a note to yourself, a love letter, anything, or personal writing. You're just making a grocery list. You're writing down a phone number, keeping a appointment book. And when we met, uh, we met last Saturday, Audrey and Bob and I over a small Zoom conference. And Bob said, you know, it's grade three Braille just for Slate and Stylus. He said, I think it's just kind of geared towards Slate and Stylus, is it? And Audrey and I both said, no, we're like, we have the Braille Note Apex. I have a Braille Note Touch Plus now. And so we just use it in BRF on those note takers. It can also be on the Slate. It can be on index cards. But it's so versatile that you can use it anywhere for anything, yet it's standardized. And if I were to write to Paul or if I were to write to Constance in grade three Braille, the other person would read it. Yes. And, and the, I, I think, though, it would be accurate to say that um, grade three Braille developed really before Braille writers came onto the scene. Um, and, and, and most of the people who used it all the way through college, not all, but most of the people who used slates and styluses for grade three or for college um, did it in grade three Braille. A lot of people found that grade three Braille was the only way they could get through college because it was the only way they could take notes fast enough. Now, when, when Braille note takers came along, um, which were quieter, um, a, a lot of us found that we could take notes pretty quickly with those, even if we were using grade two Braille. And some of us, some of us, uh, some of us use both. Um, so yeah, mm. it's, but it's interesting. So that's, that's what it is and that's how it works. Um, Let's let's see if there's anyone who has questions about the grade three Braille or uh, or about uh, that kind of stuff before we go on. So there are a few people with raised hands. So Rick, who have we got? We've got Jane. Mm-hmm. Jane Jane Tolino. There you go, Jane. Actually, my hand isn't raised. It shouldn't be. Um, you just well, for talking. It was. I'm sorry. I didn't raise it. I really didn't. I'm sorry. You we'll hear from Jane later. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Jesse, please. Jesse, let's talk about grade, Jessica. grade three. Yes. Hi. Hi. I have a couple of questions. Uh-huh. Can it be used on a Braille display such as the Focus and or Braille screen input on the iPhone? So the Focus, I believe, has a note-taking option, a note-taking capability. And the scratchpad? Yes. So if I'm right on that, which I think I am, yes, you can you use it on the, the Focus. It has the scratchpad. Yeah, so that would work perfectly fine. The Braille screen input 
probably not just because it's trained to recognize grade three or grade two since it's an immediate conversion to print. Yeah, so it could write it fine, but you wouldn't be able to read it. Yeah, you'd when have I to. Asked, when I asked my question about it on the focus, I was talking about in like emails or Word documents. Oh, okay. Then probably not anything that you'd be able to read it, but anything that has an immediate conversion to print. If you sent me an email, it would come out scrambled gibberish. Yeah. So nobody, nobody has so far designed, uh, because I don't think they believe there's, there's enough demand. But if, if, if a gazillion people suddenly learned grade three Braille and wanted to use it, I'm sure that some of the note-taking companies would end up building um, a grade three back translation system. But right now, there isn't one. All right. Thank you so much for your questions. Okay. Anisio, please. Mr. Correa. Well, I don't really have a question about grade three. I learned it when I moved to this to the United States. I bought the, or I, somehow I got the key to uh, grade three. Mm-hmm. I learned it, and it helped me in school, in grad school, uh, because I was taking notes with the slate and stylus. But I, I'm sure when I was growing up in Portugal and and, and actually going in, being in college in in, uh, in Portugal. Um, we didn't have grade three in, in Portuguese. We had grade two, but I, we kind of, and I know a lot of other blind people did, we kind of developed our own shorthand um, that that would make it easier to 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 write faster with the slate and stylus. And I tell you, uh, um, a lot of my, I, I, I couldn't do it now, but a, a lot of my schoolmates in college would, uh, would come to me for notes because I had better notes than they did working on slate and stuff. Yep. Yep. Couldn't do it now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you exactly. know, like maybe later, Paul, I can uh, I can tell a few stories about Braille and learning a different language and all that. Very, uh, very good. Thank you. I, I will yeah. call on you, Mr. Correa. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Excellent. Any other grade three questions? Phone number ending in seven three zero, please. Uh, yes, I was curious. Is this the grade three that um, we had years ago that was based on English Braille uh, American Edition, or has this been revised to be based on UEB? Thank you. It has not been revised. Um, it it is it it is the same old grade three. I don't I don't think there have been any changes that have been made in the last. 20 odd years. I think there were some changes that were made about 25 years ago. Is that right, Kristen? Yeah, it's not been revised since probably the 90s. And it's the same. A lot of it builds off of EBAE, which is the English Braille American Edition. And it has not been revised since UEB. So if you're really trying to learn UEB, and you're getting that down in your mind, then it might be a little confusing to learn both at once. Okay, Very good. thank you. You're welcome. Mr. Rick? Diane Scalzi, please. Miss Diane, hi. <clears throat> yeah, hi, Paul and everybody. Um, 
Yeah, my grade three story, back in 1976, my rehab counselor sent me to Little Rock to attend the IRS's um, taxpayer service class that was running then. And um, we had to go through a month-long evaluation. And one of the things that I was expected to do was to be able to write 12 words or more with a slate and stylus. So, you know, I tried several times to do it. Obviously, I knew the Braille, but my arm would get so tired that I, I couldn't do it. And so finally, my <clears throat> the instructor I had, her name was uh, Barbara Myers, hit on the idea of having me learn grade three Braille so that I could write more words, you know, with, with uh, fewer characters. And that was the only way that I was able to pass that requirement. Otherwise, you know, that was the only thing that would have kept me from um, successfully completing that course. So, um, you know, it definitely helped me back at the time, and I used it for a while after that. But, you know, I've kind of forgotten that it might be fun to try and learn it again. Excellent. Diane, thank you you so much. Um, Kristen, tell us how people can join in this call if they want to. So it is on the ACB community platform. So if you get the emails from Cindy or Colby, if you get those ACB community emails, then it will be on there. On the weekly schedule? On the weekly and the daily. Very good. Yes. If there is also a call-in number by phone, and if you need that, I can get that for you here in a minute or two. I can pull it up on my computer. But, and if you have any trouble or if you didn't get a certain email, you go ahead and email Cindy Hollis at community at acb.org. Yep. And, and tell her that you're interested, and that'll be 9 o'clock on Thursday evening, yes? 9 Eastern on yes. Thursday evening. 9 Eastern, 8 Central, 6 Pacific. X, uh, yes. Very good. Ms. Kristen, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. So one of the, one of the things that, uh, that I mentioned earlier is that the Braille Revival League is beginning to create some state affiliates, and the the most recent affiliate to be granted full fledged membership in the Braille Revival League is Ace uh, is BRL of New York, and the president of that organization is also uh, the lady who's going to be working with Kristen on our Grade Three Braille class. But they undertook what I think is a really interesting Braille activity at the beginning of the year. And so I asked Audrey Shading if she would join us this evening and tell us a little bit about that activity. It's Audrey. I, I am unmuted now. Oh, excellent. Hey, Audrey. And Bob should be on. He might be on. A, I'm not sure if he's a 917 or 718 because he did call me to make sure I was on and I was having trouble getting on. So Bob is on. Uh, yeah, I know, um, he's, I know he was here because I talked yeah. to him before. But anyway, Audrey, tell us about your New York activity. Oh, thank you. Well, we wanted to 
celebrate Louis Braille's birthday, and we were able to do it on his actual birthday. So, Which was when? Uh, the whole, January 4th. Thank you. And the whole, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the whole plan evolved, and we got ACB community involved, and we, we did it on that platform, which was a wonderful way to advertise, and we advertised on every list we could think of. And we had trivia. We had people telling their stories. Um, we had a few prizes. And it was just a lovely hour, and we'd like to do it again next year, so come, everybody. We thought we had no idea how many people would come, and we had over 70 people there. So thank you to all the BRL members who came and every everybody who came. It was just wonderful, and people actually got a chance to talk, and it, it was a memorable evening, and I, I'm just so so happy to to do that tribute and uh, thank you paul yeah i think it i I think it was a good activity Uh, have you found it valuable to have created a state affiliate of the braille revival league yes we've we're still getting uh, this was our big thing that we did and in in Mm -hmm. this first year we we had a few meetings and we're still getting together we're going to be meeting uh, later during the month to see what kind of ideas we have of outreach and fundraising. So right now it's been a lot of just people uh, doing a lot of individual outreach and we're putting that together to show what we've done as a, as, as a community and people submitting their ideas. So this first year has been a growing year and I believe the second year is going to be that too. Um, just even getting the account established and all the legal stuff done uh, took a lot longer than I thought. That was, I think, the only thing that, that kind of frustrated me because I thought we would be doing, you know, really ready uh, qu- quicker than we were. But after that's all done, yeah, it, it's really very exciting. And and I and many others have been wanting to do this for quite some time, and it's just been in my soul to do this. And so it's been in my head for several years. And, you know, by so many people standing with me and uh, coming together, we, we were able to get the board going. And again, as I said, even though we're pretty small right now, I believe we're going to grow. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's super exciting. It's, it's, it's one of my big, big joys right now. So, yeah, um, we're, we're, we're excited that you guys did it. And, and to show how active uh, the New York affiliate is, uh, Audrey and Bob are both going to be a part of the grade three teaching component um, starting on Thursday evening at nine, check out the community calls for all the information about that Zoom call and and join it. And if you need to find out uh, about uh, a telephone number, we're going to get Chris and Wilt will have you give out that number that people can call into. Um, just interrupt whenever you're ready. And since we're talking about BRL, um, why don't I invite Jane Corona just to talk a little bit about how folks can become members and what the kind of membership options are for BRL. Jane is our treasurer and does a wonderful job of that. Um, we do a newsletter that comes out twice a year, and I think our newsletter editor is on here as well. It's called the Braille Memorandum, and it's usually somewhere between 45 and 60 pages long. Um, comes out twice a year, and um, uh, I I edited it for a while, so I so I can tell you that uh, I can tell you that there's a lot of variety of articles that are in it, um, and games and a whole range of other things having to do with Braille. So, Miss Jane, take it away. Thank you. Um, of course, like like all treasurers, I have my hand out for money for BRL. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. Right? Um, membership in the Braille Revival League runs on the calendar year. And, of course, right now it's, it's membership renewal time for 2022. Membership costs $10 per year per person. Um, we also have a life membership for $200. Um, if you want to be a member through one of the state affiliates that we have that Paul mentioned earlier, um, you don't need to send me any money. You just, um, if you need to know who to contact for each of those affiliates, uh, give me a call and I can tell you that I'll give my contact information at the end. Um, as Paul said, membership in BRL gets you two issues of the BRL memorandum each year. And it's a wonderful magazine. We won an award a couple of years ago. Um, there are several ways that you can join. Um, you can call me with a credit card. That's the easiest way. Um, and I'll get all your information at that time. Um, you can go on our website and there's a membership form, which will take you to PayPal and you can, can join that way, or you can just send, um, uh, money, um, the $10 to our email address, which I'll give in a minute. Um, you could send a check if you trust the post office that much. Um, so uh, there are any number of ways that you can join us. Um, I am the treasurer, Jane Corona, C-A-R-O-N-A. Uh, my phone number is 301-598-2131. And maybe the easiest thing to remember is our email address is treasurer at Braille Revival League. Dot org all spelled out b r a i l l e r e v i v a l l e a g u e dot org and our website is www.braillerevivalleague.org i think that's that's it thank you so much and i'm looking forward to if anybody is on here is interested in becoming a part of brl please feel free to give me a call thank you Yep. We also have we also have four committees that, that we're operating at the moment. Oh yeah, you can talk about them. Game books, yes. Okay. Um BRL has a fundraiser. These are so much fun. Our our secretary, Ralph Smitherman, has a devilish mind and he's developed these game books and there are four of them now. Uh he's developing a fifth one that's an homage to uh, uh, Alex Trebek and Jeopardy, but that's not out yet. But we have the four game books. Each one has nine word puzzles of various kinds, um, and the answers are in the back. They they're available in Braille. Each one is ten dollars, but if you buy the whole set, it's twenty five dollars. The whole game book bundle with the four books in it, and we do have them in stock. Um, I. I emboss them as needed and send them out. And my dog will be very happy if many people buy them, especially now in the wintertime when we don't have anywhere much to go. So my dog loves to go to the post office. So um, they are $25 for the whole um, bundle. And there again, you can give me a call with a credit card and we can get that process started for you if you'd like to have them. Now I'm done. (laughs) Excellent. They're very good too. The, 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 the books are, and, and there'll, be, there'll be a sample in the next issue of the memorandum. So if you join, you can get the memorandum in Braille or as an email or in large print. So those are the three formats that our memorandum is available in. 
And when you're ready, Paul, I do have the dial-in information for the grade three Braille call. Ms. Kristen, go for it. Okay, so if you would like to dial in by phone, you would dial 312-626-6799, and you would enter in the webinar ID, which is 830-4021-5661. And I will repeat that all once more, just in case you didn't get it. So you would dial 312-626-6799, and then the webinar ID is 830-4021-5661. And then there is a passcode that it just made me set up, but I doubt you will need it. But in the case that you do... The passcode is 4282. It never asked me for that when I joined as a guest, but it did make me set it up. So I will give you that. Very good. Ms. Kristen, thank you so much for that information. Thanks for putting together the Grade 3 program. And I think there are lots of us who are, who are looking forward to it. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So. That is excellent. So, um, Rick, I think Ralph Smitherman wanted to say something, and I guess I will recognize him if we can. It just shows up as Ralph on your participant list, I think. Yeah, hold on. I am being such a pain. Um, There is no Ralph over here. There's a bunch of phone numbers. Ralph, if you're here, you want to raise your hand, please? He has. Oh, there's Ralph. Hold on. Okay, Ralph. All right. Can you hear me? We can. Okay. I just wanted to say a few words about the BRL memorandum, namely the... Next deadline for articles is April 15 of 2022. And if anyone is interested in sending an article for publication, send it to my email address, which is redbird26 at bellsouth.net. I am anxiously awaiting those articles. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Ralph. We appreciate that. Um, there's another There's another activity that's available in community calls. Now, I didn't ask him if he would present uh, tonight, and and I I would I would love it if we can get together because I'm hoping that I can invite him to be a part of our braille our next braille buzz. But I noticed that Mr. Babine Shaw is with us. And he does a thing on community calls on Thursday called I Love Braille. Mr. Shaw, could you unmute yourself? It's, he's right near the bottom of the list. Um, uh, and he's raised his hand, Rick. Okay, thank you. Yes, I tried speaking before, but my audio was not unmuted, but now it is. Anyway, 
Okay. I Love Braille is a weekly discussion uh, group related to Braille. And we have our session at 9 a.m. Pacific time every Thursday. The first Thursday of month is devoted to a guest speaker. And uh, we invite different uh, speakers. And a speaker speaks about uh, uh, the chosen title, any aspect related to Braille, like, you know, Braille career, Braille transcribing, mm-hmm. Braille production, electronic Braille. Uh, we have, you know, different uh, aspects that we try to cover uh, depending on the speaker's expertise or experience. The speaker normally speaks about 15-20 minutes and then the floor is open for question answer session. And that goes up to the end of the hour. So that makes our session interactive. You know, uh, people ask questions uh, from different corners. And it's a worldwide group. So we have, so far we have participants not only from various parts of the United States, but also, of course, our friend Canada, but then Brazil and Nigeria, South Africa, uh, India. So we get people from different countries, they join us. Second Thursday, I said about first Thursday, second Thursday is titled, I have a question. So you can ask any Braille-related question, and anybody who knows the answer can uh, give their answer. Uh, Of course, uh, I facilitate, so uh, I uh, coordinate the discussion. And then the third Thursday is uh, titled Pole Star, in which one of the participants shares his or her experience with using, uh, learning Braille and using Braille. And of course, after that, there are questions and many people feel at home because one of them is talking and they feel like asking questions and learn a lot from every, uh, from the presenter's experience. And the fourth Thursday is called Braille Fun, in which we have Braille puzzles, Braille drawings, and anything else that uh, makes learning Braille fun. So this is how we have our format for I Love Braille. Of course, it is sponsored by East Bay Center for the Blind, which is located in Berkeley, California. I live near Berkeley in Hayward, California, and that's why we have this specific time at 9 in the morning. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Very good, and and you'll get an opportunity to answer lots more questions at um, if if you can join our Braille Buzz call, which is on the third Wednesday of the month at eight thirty Eastern time. So that would be five thirty your 530. time. Can yeah. you join us? I think so. Yeah, Wednesday, that, right? That yes, Wednesday. And yep, you third, said third Wednesday. Oh, okay. Yep. So it's it's okay, not that's tomorrow. Sixteenth of Feb. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes, I will. Excellent. That, okay, that, that okay. is excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, and you'll, you'll get to share the program with Tamara Rory, who's also going to be on 
he's going to be talking about some some I think really exciting topics. So and and also will be open for questions. So it should be a really good Braille buzz call. Oh, that um, will be terrific. And one more thing yeah. I would like to add. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, that I would like to invite many of you as a guest speaker for our first Thursday of every month mm-hmm. session. Very so, good. Yeah. I'll be happy to so, do that. Yeah. Yep. So if anybody, if it, turn up for a call and volunteer to be a, a, a speaker on Braille and hey presto, um, you will sure. you will become a celebrity, a celebrity <laughs> Braille reader. <Ta-da. laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome. Excellent. I'm One of oops. Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry I cut him off. Excellent. So one of the one of the folks who, uh, one of the the people who has been very active and is a, a relatively new board member for the Braille Revival League, but who has contributed some articles and I think has had some interesting experiences with regard to Braille, is a lady from California whose name is Deborah Armstrong, um, who works for a community college and and. Uh, Deborah, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your job and and what Braille means to you in terms of doing your job and and really whatever whatever else you'd like to share, perhaps about your experience with Braille. So it gives me a great pleasure to introduce Debbie Armstrong. Hey there, everyone. Well, I was hired because I know Braille because at the time, and you all hearing me okay, correct? Um, at the time. Um, the colleges in California were being sued because they weren't providing Braille in a timely manner. And so they were desperate to find someone who could make sure that if they did provide Braille, that it was accurate and effective. But what's interesting is I work mostly with learning disabled students. So the two things that I do the most with Braille in my job, I I do in Boston Braille once in a while every few years. But the thing that I do the most is actually connect my Braille display to the department iPad, and then I turn the iPad around so it can face my disabled student who may be dyslexic or may just be in a wheelchair, uh, whatever disability they have, and they can see the iPad, and I don't have my hand covering it up in order to control it. And so with my Braille display, I can control it and show them how to use various apps. And that has actually been so effective because voiceover is reading the icons to them. They're seeing a little icon and they're going, what's that icon do? And voiceover is telling them what it does and I'm using the Braille. And what is really interesting is that many of my students have asked to not be trained by a sighted person, but be trained by me because I can control the iPad while they look at it. So that's one of the things I do a lot with Braille, which is kind of silly. The other thing I do is I read a lot of exams out loud to our LD students. We get a lot of students who are brand new to the computer, and they find trying to read on the computer and write on the computer at the same time to be very stressful. So I scan the exam, I put it in Braille, and then I can read it to my student while they type their answers on the computer. Or sometimes it's the other way around. The student reads their exam while I use my Braille display to type the answer on the computer while they look at the screen. And that also works really well. So it's funny how, though I was hired because of my knowledge of Braille and 
hopefully Braille transcription, I ended up just using it to be more effective in my job. Well, let's see, I've been talking for a while, but I can share another story if you have time. We do. All right. Well, I'd like to talk about how I, uh, how I became sort of uh, a Braille addict. Uh, when I was a small child, my mom and dad read to me all the time. They always read me stories. Nancy Drew, Bobsy Twins, all that good stuff. And I started learning Braille in the first grade, and I was one of the youngest children in the first grade. And I was in an experimental program where I was in public school, but I had a teacher who worked with me for about an hour a day learning Braille. And that actually was Sally Mangold, who became very famous later. But I knew her when she was like 22 years old and sat on the floor with kids. And anyway, so she taught me Braille. And everything she brailled for me was in grade two. So I learned grade two. First of all, I never learned grade one, uh, but I was also learning to type. So I learned how to spell, but those were like separate skills, but everything was double line spaced. And then I remember one day she had transcribed a story for me that was double line spaced and it got to the exciting part and she put it in single line space. And I could not read that. And little six-year-old Debbie threw a tantrum. I got down on the floor. I screamed. I wanted the end of the story and I can't read it. And she said, if you work hard enough, you can read this story. And boy, I didn't want to do it, but I ended up doing it. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, I don't need my mom and dad to read to me. I can read because before it was just something I did, right? And now all of a sudden I realized I can read. And that was so powerful. So I have more stories, but I think it's time for other panelists to chat. One of the, one of the things that, that I, I think happens to a lot of us who learned Braille as children is, is that we're, we're sort of moving along, going blah, 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 braille, 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 braille. And then suddenly there's this aha moment and suddenly braille makes sense. Um, that happened to me in um, early grade three. And before that, um, I, I could read braille, but I certainly couldn't quote read, unquote, braille. But by, by this, this particular day in the third grade, all the light bulbs went on. And suddenly I could read anything. And, and, you know, by the end of the, by the end of the third grade, of course, one of the, one of the realities of life then was you didn't have a lot of choice about the braille books that you read. You read what you could find. So, um, by the end of the third grade, I'd read two or three Shakespeare plays because they were there. <laughs> um, but it was, um, for me, it, it was just sort of an aha moment. Um, so we've talked some about the Braille Revival League and we've talked a little bit uh, about folks experience. Um, and I think that I'm going to open it up to let some of the folks in the audience. And I'm so excited because we have 38 folks on that side, um, plus the eight or, or nine folks who are, uh, on the panel, um, and so I'm really excited that so many people uh, would like to share. And um, I'll get Rick to see what hands are raised to talk about your experiences with Braille and kind of share with the audience. And later on in this hour, we're going to talk about um, why, why Braille needs your help. Mr. Rick. Yes, Paul. Jewel, please. 
That's a cool name. Hey, Jewel. Hi. Um, my name is Jewel. I'm in Kentucky, um, and I live on a homestead. Nice. Um, I'm actually about to start in the spring planting more stuff, and I'm going to be getting some plant tags to do braille plant tags um, in aluminum. And I was curious, what do you think grade three would work really well for plant tags for notes like um, when to fertilize, when to water? Would it, would it help? Sure. Uh, it would save you space on, on tags. And what you're, what you're really looking for is trying, usually with plant tags, is trying to fit as much as you can on one line, right? Right. The, the plant tags are six inches long, so there's only so much space, you can, only so much stuff you can put on there. And how, much, how many lines of Braille do you think you could fit on, Jewel? I think there are, um, I think I could put two lines, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Yeah. So, so grade three would certainly, would certainly enable you to do more, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> one of the cool things about grade three or, or, and some people would say about anything above grade two is the only person who has to read what you're writing is you. Mm-hmm. So whatever abbreviations you want to use, like if you wanted to use PLNT for plant, or if you wanted to use VLT for violet, or mm-hmm. um, or DSY for daisy, you could okay. do that because you'd know what it is. It sounds like and what you're I'm the only person doing, who like, needs to. Yeah, like I've labeled some of the spices, and like I put C L R Y for celery. Yep. Yep. Or, yep. So, um, so you've got the idea. Yep. Okay. You've got the idea, cool. or or. Or, or you know, I used to just do C I N sign N because um, because mm-hmm. right. there's nothing else that can be no other spice that can be that because because yeah. I don't have I don't have any Cincinnati chili spice. <laughs> 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 but yeah, you could do that, Miss Jewel. Absolutely, right, cool. Yeah, Thanks I'm, for your I'm question. I downloaded the Grade Three Braille book, but I just haven't had a chance to really look into it. That's excellent. There are actually two there, so you can you can download both. Um, there there are two on Bard and under Braille manuals, I think in the in on Bard, and um, and and they're not using either of them, but but they're good for reference just to have them. So that's cool, uh, Mister Rick. Thank you, Jewel. Yeah, phone number ending in zero nine nine, please. You need to unmute yourself again, please. Star six. Hey, Paul, it's Judy Cannon. Hey, Judy Cannon. How are you? I'm well, uh, thank Judy you. Is, Judy is actually here, is, is going to tell us about something that I was excited about. One of the things that I put on, on the, the, the BRL website when, when I wrote it was a lot of us thought that the Perkins Braille Writer um, was ancient and been around since God was very young. Um, but in fact, Judy has written an article that, that just apparently came out in the uh, uh, e, uh, ACBE f- electronic forum uh, for February and also came out as part of the Perkins newsletter um, uh, last year. And Judy, tell us what the article was about and, uh, and what you were celebrating. So can I give a little bit of history first? Sure you can. Okay, thank you. Um, 
I had very good vision when I started first grade um, at the Perkins School, and I had enough vision where I could put my head down and I could actually see the Braille dots. And my teacher said, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do. You're going to learn to do this correctly. So she actually put something between my hands and my eyes, so I was forced to do it with my fingers. I've said for many, many years now that the best thing Perkins ever made me do was be a Braille reader. I've lost most of my vision, couldn't even tell you that was print on the page, and I use my Perkins Brailler almost every day. Thank you, Perkins. When I was speaking with Terry Pacheco last year, who works on the newsletter with us, we both realized that in 2021, the Perkins Brailler was 70 years old. Perkins had Braille writers before 1951, in fact, around the turn of the century, but they were cast iron, they were clunky, um, they were not durable. So um, I, I decided that because I had worked for Howe Press that made the Perkins Brailler for 25 years before I moved over to the Perkins Library to run their Braille department, I realized that I knew an awful lot about the history of the machine. So I got my facts together and wrote this article. And it talks about David Abraham, who was actually the inventor of this product. He actually did most of it in secret during World War II um, in his basement. And when he came out with a design, they um, gave it to Perkins just as the war, World War II was breaking out. So it gave students at Perkins a long time to test it. And this article talks all about that and David Abraham and how difficult he was to work with. He was, everything had to be precise. And I end the article with talking about one of my colleagues that I worked with. I was a Braille writer inspector for part of the time with Leon Murphy, with Leon Murphy heading the assembly room. And we would argue constantly. He would say, the Braille is fine. And I'm, I would say, yes, but I use it. You only build it. And we would go back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes he won, sometimes I won. But we had a really great relationship. Um, the um, article appeared this afternoon in the E-Forum, and I hope people read it. I really had a great time doing it. Judy, thank you very much for that. Um, the, there, there, were, there were Braille writers not only made by Perkins, but made by other folks before. But I, but I think that the Perkins Braille writer kind of took the, the nation by storm, wouldn't you say, in, in terms of becoming the must-have device I don't know that there are very many folks who have Braille writers in this country now um, who own anything but a Perkins Brailler. Do you? Well, the, no. There was a Hall Braille writer, um, mm -hmm. and there was also an AFB writer. In fact, AFB gave it up when they realized what Perkins was doing. Mm -hmm. And what Perkins did, and particularly um, David Abraham and then Dr. Waterhouse, who later became director of the school, sat down and said, okay, what do we want? From this machine to be. And they took what they thought was the best parts of the machines that had been made in the past. And mm -hmm. they knew that the attempts that Perkins had made were not going to fly. They weren't going to be mass produced, which was part of the problem. And um, actually, AFB um, helped Perkins find financing to set up the um, shop and to get this, the machine going. In 1951, when the first machine came off the line, um, and it's not an assembly line, it's all made by hand and still is, um, they thought that a thousand units would make, would, would be needed, and that day, 2,000 were already on order. So that shows <laughs> you from the very, very beginning how many 
uh, Perkins Brailers were actually needed, and it's over. I don't. I don't know the number. Ninety-five thousand. I don't. In, in in many many countries of the world. So this machine has made a difference in many of our lives, even with technology. I use a Perkins Brailler all the time. So the Perkins Brailler, when it first came out, was seventy dollars or so. That's correct. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I don't know its and- price today, but it's 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 up there. Yeah, I think it's it, the the last time I looked at the price, and that was probably ten years ago. It was seven hundred bucks. It um, could be up there. I don't I don't know the exact cost, but I know it was seventy when in, in nineteen fifty one. Now that's the year I was born, so I didn't know anything about it. But I remember getting my first brailler from the Lions Club, which gave many of us brailers um, as young children, and that still sits on my desk sixty years later. So what do you own? Actually, sixty four years later, I'm dating myself. But uh-huh. what do you own in your homes that's that old and you still use it? It's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, it is. The the uh, I think I got mine when I was seven, um, and and that meant that I got one of the really early ones because that was nineteen fifty two. Um, so that's 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 pretty exciting. And I was and I was up in Canada then, which which is even more surprising because uh, it was that they were very hard to get. At the beginning, yep, yep. and there's there was always um, much much greater demand than there was a supply, and even now, my understanding is there is there's a pretty substantial backlog. If you order a, a Perkins trailer now, it's going to take you a few months to get it. There could be another thing is if you own a Perkins trailer and it's an older machine, on the bottom underneath the machine, there's a little round plate. Um, disc, which has your serial number. The newer brailers have it on the front of the machine. It's always good to know your the serial number of your machine. Um, mine's 8989. No letter in front of it, so it's very, very old. I'm impressed that you remember it. Um, the, um, the, the, there, are, there are folks who do repair Perkins brailers, um, and in fact, we published a list of some of those in our in in a, a recent issue of the Braille Memorandum, so um, folks can take a look back and uh, find out a little bit more about that. So, Rick, let's see if we have some other Thanks, some Paul. other comments about Braille. Thank you, Judy. Yes, Cheryl, please. Okay. Yes, thank you very yep. much. Um, I own a Perkins Brailler, and I uh, received it in my uh, first one in my late twenties. Uh, I sent it off to be repaired by in El Paso, I think, and there was uh, quite a controversy there with some of the repair people, and they ended up uh, not being able to complete their jobs, or they went bankrupt or something like that, so I never got it back, and so I had to order my own from American Printing House for the Blind. Oh, dear. Yes, and uh, I use it very regularly. I have one of those uh, Dymo Tape uh, display things that I put across the top where the carriage is. And I do quite a bit of labeling of, uh, say, uh, anything from like hosiery uh, to jewelry and put them in little bags. And I put the Dymo tape on that. And I have uh, started some um, labels for some of my cans because they have quit making the ID Mate Summit and the ID Mate Galaxy because they can't get the parts anymore. So I put some Braille labels on uh, index cards so that I can keep them in a box and use them when I get a new can. 
And I have even created uh, back in the 90s a bra- my own Braille uh, address book with phone numbers in it. And I use a Braille note touch. So I use that very regularly. I'm a flute teacher at a community college and uh, a small state university and a liberal arts college. So I keep records of my students' attendance and their assignments on that Braille note touch. And then I play in the Temple Symphony. I'm, I live in Temple, Texas, which is right in the deep in the heart of Texas. And uh, to program the pieces that we played in our concert Saturday night, I um, listed that in order so I didn't have to ask my fellow uh, colleagues, what's next, what's next, okay, what's next, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that kept things very flowing smoothly and uh, silently. And I've labeled the majority of my CDs and cassettes and LPs in Braille. That's excellent. I, I, I am particularly excited about how many uses that, that you're making of Braille. And maybe some of the folks who are listening who haven't so far um, learned Braille um, may, may perhaps uh, take heart from all the things you do with it and might consider making Braille a part of their future. So thank you very much for telling us what you do. It's very uh, useful. I, I've, I've even... Uh, uh, sorry. Sorry. Anyway, um, I, um, do, I do write uh, recipes sometimes in Braille, you know, that way if, if necessary. Um, I bought some books and I've been trying to teach myself Braille music, but that's a little bit time consuming and it really takes up a lot of space in terms of pages. It but does. I'm going to keep... Um, uh, trying to uh, trying to keep learning it because I may want to take some dictation, you know, mm-hmm. at some point. And yep. I uh, just started singing a church choir that I go to, and I write my words down uh, to the songs, and I have that written in Braille. Now, I am a double spacer, I guess I must confess, but it's just much easier to follow and not get lost that way. Yep. And yep. like like I said, even though I can, I'm functional with it. I'm still a little bit on the slow side. Sometimes I catch myself, and I feel like when I'm reading, that the reading doesn't flow as quickly or as smoothly as I'd like for it to. I feel like I'm too wrapped up in the individual dots, and I feel like maybe I just need to look at the overall characters or the shape of the characters. Very good. Thank you very much for your feedback. We very much appreciate your call. And oh, if I, I'm, I'm ever if I'm ever in Temple, Texas, I'm going to hum, come hear you play. You did, did I hear you say you play a cello? No, I'm a flutist. Flutist. Very good. Thank you. And I know another. F- it is. And, when, and y'all are going to have, y'all have a session on, on the third Wednesday in the month. Is that right? I got on late. We, we do. And it's on, it's on the, um, it'll be on the community call list. Cause I'm going to uh, write it up right after, right after we uh, finish here. And so it'll be on your community call list for the weekend for uh, the days next week. So um, by all means, join us. We'd be glad to have you at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, third I'm Wednesday. I'm not sure what you mean. What, uh, how do I get to the call list? This is all brand new to me. Okay. <clears throat> so write a note to um, community at acb.org on email. Yes. And ask to be um, put on the daily and weekly um, uh, community call list and you'll get in in 
uh, an email uh, every day that tells you what's coming up on community calls. Oh, fantastic. So community, just spelled out C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y at A-C-M. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And thank you for your call. Mr. Rick. Diane Scalzi again, please. Diane. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Here I am back again, Paul. Um, well, first of all, you know, I have, I have several things here. I hope I can remember them all quickly. Um, for one thing, when I was in third grade, I was in public school at the time, and my <clears throat> itinerant teacher used to get me the Braille and print copies of books. And, and I would, um, you know, have my, my mother would follow along in the print with me in case I had trouble with any words and stuff. And then I would read it out loud, read out loud to her. And she had the uh, patience of a saint (laughs) to, uh, you know, listen to my reading, but you know, it definitely um, helped my reading that she was there to do that for me. Um, also, yeah, I have a Perkins Braille writer that my local Lions Club bought me back in 1965. I still have it. Um, the carriage doesn't work anymore. I really need to get it fixed at some point, but I still have it and I will never get rid of it. Um, also, when I was in public school, there was a Braille writer that I think APH made called the Lavender. Braille writer, and it was all plastic, so it yeah, was a lot lighter than the Perkins. But um, but I was um, I got to shut my phone up here. Um, I don't think it held up as well though as uh, as the Perkins did. What what's a, right. what's amazing about the Perkins is how reliable and how much of a workhorse the Perkins trailer is and how relatively easy, I shouldn't say that I suppose, but how relatively easy it is to repair. I mean there there are there are a, a, a whole bunch of places where you used to be able to get um, rare writers repaired for nothing. That's not often the case anymore. Yeah. Um, I have a friend here that, that I have a friend here that, that learned how to do it um, mm-hmm. by basically buying a Braille writer off of someone that didn't want it. And then he just took it apart. He got the manual from Perkins mm-hmm. and took it apart and put it back together again. And that was how he learned to repair them. Excellent. Um, yeah. Um, the, the, the last thing I have is, is the grade three call going to be recorded? Um, we are required uh, we are required to record um, all of right, the calls be- that are going to be listed on community. Um, I, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't keep them and eventually put them up on the on the Braille website. We have a committee um, that's working on our website now, and um, I will be sure to raise that issue with them so that we can we can seriously look at keeping our our grade three calls um, unless we hear. From from the folks who are teaching and learning on it that they would prefer us not to. Yeah, I would, so, I would, um, the reason I'm asking is because I have a conflict. I, I run a call on Thursday nights at nine o'clock. So that, that makes it tough. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm going to have to, 
I'm going to have to miss it, but I, I would love it if, um, you know, if the calls were, um, could be made available yep. to any keep, of us who keep, have keep to miss bugging it. me, Diane. If, if you don't hear that they're available, keep bugging me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at that. Yep. Thanks right. very much, Miss Diane. Call. Appreciate it. Uh-huh. Mr. Rick. Anisio, please. Mr. Uh, Correa. Hi. So j- just a couple of stories, Paul. I mean, obviously, Braille has made a tremendous difference in my life, professional and personal, since since first grade. But I remember, <clears throat> you know, my parents moved here. My family moved to the United States from Portugal in 1967. And I stayed back to finish high school and was either... At the end of 67 or early 68, somehow, I don't know how, because I didn't tell them, I didn't know anything about it, but they they were able to, to buy a Perkins Brailler and send it to me to Portugal. So when I received this, in a, you know, I had no clue. I mean, I knew how to use a typewriter. So immediately I'm trying to put the paper from the front of the machine. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, doesn't work. So finally, some other a friend of mine, uh, this gentleman that didn't know anything about Braille was, no, maybe I think he just come from the back. You know, intelligently, I guess you would, you'd see that from the rollers and all that. So I did that. And we started with a small, very small piece of paper. And we start rolling the thing up and it gets to the margin of the paper. And we stop. Just, oh, mm-hmm. my, how would they make a machine like this? You can use regular size, regular size paper. That was my... Uh, until yep. finally, I guess, I, I don't know how, what made me try a, a bigger piece of paper, uh, and it worked. Anyway, so it, it really made a huge difference. I um, I went to a school for the blind for, for the first five years, and when I moved to my local school in my hometown, there were there were lots of issues, and I needed all types of, of uh, permissions, et cetera, from the Ministry of Education. But the, the principal was so upset that he had he had uh, put up so many obstacles that they they he and the teachers found, decided that they wanted to do something nice for me before I got there so that year my my first year in that school was my first year of um, taking English so they decided to buy a English dictionary <laughs> so they searched and of course they found one from the Royal National Institute for the Blind it was the little Oxford pocket dictionary. So they figured, well, that's a small one. So we'll buy this. And little <clears throat> did they know, <laughs> surprisingly, they got 17 or 18 volumes of Braille. Of course, my mother was very surprised herself to find space for it. So, I, I mean, I've been using Braille all my life. I took my notes using a slate and stylus in, uh, in college, as I said before. And now I use Braille all the time with a Braille display. I mean, I could not, I cannot tell you how, um, for those people that say that Braille is outdated, they, now this with speech and computers and technology, um, there's no need for it. I am so much against that, that idea because um, I use it all the time professionally. I connect with, with my phone or my computer, or if I'm, Listen, if I'm reading an email, responding to a text, um, I can do it in privately in private, just as if anybody, everybody else cited can do. And uh, I think it makes a huge, huge difference. So I would encourage everybody to 
learn Braille. I think using a Braille display, especially I would think for an adult learning Braille, using a Braille display is probably a lot easier because the dots are much more pronounced. No matter how much you rub it, it's going to come back up again. And uh, and you have only one line, which, you know, I remember years and years and years ago when I started as a Braille teacher, one of the problems was maintaining your space and your line and, and the mm-hmm. fact that you only have one line and you have uh, just move in one direction. I think it, it adults would, would find it uh, surprising how much easier it may be learning with the Braille display. Of course, you need the Braille display, but hopefully as the program with the NLS increases and expands to other states, more people will be able to access it uh, for free. So that's my, I mean, I can talk about Braille all my all the time. <laughs> It has made a huge, huge difference. Of course, I had to learn grade two Portuguese. That's how I started. When I started learning English, and of course, the dictionary itself was in grade two already. So I had to learn that. And then I took German in high school and college. And I used to get my books from um, from um, actually East Germany at that time. Um, and of course, I had to learn also the uh, German grade two. And and French as well when I took French. So it's I don't remember any of that myself, uh, the language or the grade two. But um, but I think it's um, again I would not be would not have been able to do what I've done and gotten where I've gotten and without it. Yeah, and you worked as a as a professional in the blindness field for what thirty five years? Any show? Well, I started as a Braille teacher, as I said, in 76. So I think it's 40-something years, 42. Yeah, years. nice. Uh, so, yeah. Nice. Anisha, thank you so much. You're welcome. We appreciate anytime. it. Thanks for doing this, Paul. Sure. Mr. Rick. Jane Tolino, please. Jane, hi. Glad you were able to join us. Jane called me earlier because she says I left out Eastern. So she didn't know when things were going to happen. Jane, you're unmuted. Dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 dum. We're going to take two or three more calls with just stories about Braille. Then I want to get into the other side. And I also want, before I end this call, to talk about the, the amazing place that that we are with braille in uh, in in 2022 because we're in a place where we've never been before and and it 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 really is to me uh one of one of the more exciting and amazing things uh that um that i think we need to talk about so that we have a better idea miss jane we're going to pass you by we're going to take one one or two more from from this segment, Mr. Rick. Yeah, Tim Cummings, please. Hey, hey Tim. Paul. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So I wanted to uh, update Judy's details about the Perkins Braille since I work at Perkins uh, nice. these days. Um, the The cost of a new Braille is eight hundred and ten dollars, mm-hmm. and the if you want to get your Braille fixed by Perkins it's $155 for cleaning and you know replacement parts and most yep yes and most of the time 
a lot of these brailers, since it's such a mechanical device, a lot of times they just need a really good cleaning. The other thing is that um, it's really important to have a dust cover for your brailler because dust is the enemy of uh, Perkins brailers. And the other thing I wanted to mention, I hope you get to this tonight in terms of the technology. One of the most exciting things I remember that happened and I was a big user and a big fan was the introduction of the Braille and speak. Uh, oh yeah. Which I'm sure, and that was a game changer in terms of uh, Braille note taking. Oh, really the, the, the Braille and speak and then the Braille light um, because I mean, they were both game changers because the Braille light was by far the cheapest um, Braille display <clears throat> on the market. And of course the Braille and speak, was was essentially a speech note taker with a braille keyboard that was what a thousand dollars eleven eleven hundred dollars maybe when they came and out. The, and the sad thing is now that there are no speech only note takers anymore. And I've there are not. spoken no, which is which I which I think is really too bad. Um, but um, but anyway, this is a great show, and uh, you know I, this. I, I love Braille. I've been using it all my life, and uh, I wish I, I wish I had a Braille and speak when I was in college because it would have made my life. <laughs> it would have, would it not? Would it not? Tim, thank you so much for your call and say hey to Cheryl for us. I will. I will. Thanks a lot, Paul. Mister Rick, phone number ending in four one eight, please four one eight. Yes, hello. This is Bob White again. I'm sorry about hey, before. Bob. Yeah, I have an iPhone and. I was going through the app switcher and I was I was tapping on the phone app, but that's a different <laughs> screen than the call in progress screen. Uh-oh. It's a different screen on the iPhone. And so that's why I wasn't able to get back before. But I have two two stories, quick stories about Braille. Um, mm-hmm. I taught high school social studies for about fifteen years. I would keep each student's record on a three by five index card put the index card in a file box. And at that time I had something called the Jiffy Slate, which was a mm-hmm. slate designed for that, for the card. You can, you put it, you just slid the card in and, 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 and slid it out. And it would line up exactly the same way. Every time, every student's record was, it took a, a, a second to put it in the card, write the home, the, the score in, in a certain place on the card, mm-hmm. take it out and put it in its proper place in the file box. Yep. Very useful. Yep, I taught I taught high school history for ten years and did the same thing. Um, that was okay. that was probably before you were doing it, Bob. Because let's see, I when know, I'm I seventy s- years old. I'm, I'm yeah. seventy years old. So yeah, and and just just to append to that story, we had these attendance cards that slid into slots on a notebook page. Uh, I I actually put Braille on those cards, even though you know there was we had to write print on them later for the attendance records. But that's how I would I would go through and I would flip the card over if the kid was absent and then take care of the printing that night on the back yep. of the card. Nice. Uh, Luckily, I didn't have to I, do that. <laughs> okay. Currently, I use uh, my Braille. Um, there's no replacement for this. I carry a, a little pocket flight and stylus in my coat pocket, and I do a radio program once a week, or usually once a week. I, I, I help broadcast a church service. And I have to get information and, and read it over the air. Well, I don't feel like taking an expensive note taker with me or a heavy note taker. So I take this little braille thing that can fit almost in my shirt pocket, write down the information on the paper, 
and then read it over the uh, over the radio. And um, you know, there's no other way of doing that. Everybody else, my society peers, would would use a pen and paper for that. I use a slate and stylus in Braille, and that's my story. Excellent. Thank you so much, Bob. Mr. Rick. Uh, Penny Reader. Hey, Penny Reader. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And you too? I um, am. Good. That's good. I just want to put a word in for Braille for people who may not know it. I didn't learn Braille until I was 50. I resisted it for a number of years. Um, and once I learned it, I realized how much easier my life would have been had I learned it when I was in elementary school. Um, when I was in college, for instance, I had to stop taking Spanish. I wanted to be a Spanish major, but I had to stop taking it because I couldn't read the size of the print in the book anymore. Uh, even earlier than that, when I was 10, I was taking piano lessons and I loved them and I couldn't see the music anymore. Um, but I just wanted to say that it seems really daunting when you start but you should keep at it. Um, I, uh, when I learned Braille, my youngest child was learning how to read print. And we used to take turns. I, read, I would read him a page in Braille, and he would read me a page in print. We had those twin vision books. Nice. Um, the, all the Dr. Seuss. And they were fabulous. Um, and he didn't care how slow I read. You know, he was so excited that I was actually reading to him. Um, and, and I didn't either. And so um, I just want to say that it seems really daunting, but it is so worth it because the best thing it does for you besides letting you read whatever you can find in Braille is let you communicate with yourself. You can make a grocery list. You can jot down a phone number. Uh, all these people that are on the radio have had careers because of Braille. Um, mm -hmm. So I just want to um, say it, it seems really hard when you first start, but if you keep at it, it's going to make such a difference in your life. So that's all I have to say. Cool. And, and I, I got to the BOP, so um, exactly. I'm so glad I got on, and uh, it was. This has been a fabulous program. Thank you, and I couldn't and I couldn't agree more um, with 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 what you're saying about how important it is to to give yourself a, a shot at Braille. Um, like so many others, I could not have um, done the jobs that that I've done with without a, a pretty effective capability of using braille it, it, i just would not have been able to keep the jobs that i've had well, it I've certainly had to, helped me I, I, yeah. I got through grad school because of a braille and speak tim is so right uh, and yep. it was such a great way to learn braille because you could hear what you were typing and so you yep. knew if you were doing it wrong exactly um, yep. thank you miss penny you're welcome paul have a good night i will thank you Mr. Rick, let's take one final call, and then I'm going to have to. Then I want to get on to the next part. Okay, Merrill Schechter, please. Hey, Merrill from Maryland. How are you? She had herself unmuted, and she muted herself. Anthony or Albert, either one of you want to unmute. Oh, the new webinar. Mute comma. Currently unmuted comma. Can you hear me? I don't know what happened. We can. We can hear you, Meryl. Okay, Go ahead. Sorry. Zoom is crazy or webinar. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, I learned Braille when I was in first grade in New York. And when I, I went to um, the first job I had in 1977 was at Queensborough Community College in New York. And I was a peer counselor, and I taught my students in the summer 
how to read Braille and music also. And so what happened was I taught some of them grade one, some of them grade two. They were in different uh, levels, and I had to prepare lessons, and I absolutely loved it. I also worked for the IRS, and I used Aversive Braille, which is no longer (laughs) in existence. I remember those. Yeah, and I also used the, at Social Security, I used the Power Braille 40 and the um, M-Power. Also, now I use my Braille writer all the time to take notes, uh, a lot of ACB stuff. I have binders with phone numbers and reports from meetings and all kinds of stuff, and it helps me so much. But eventually, um, I am going to get a braille display so i can read and write you know and plus uh, in braille on it and plus i am definitely going to learn grade three also that would be awesome so thank you excellent merle thank you so much you're welcome Mm -hmm. all right shall we give these two gentlemen an opportunity and then we'll we'll go on to the next segment Uh, anthony anthony thank you yes Uh I'm Anthony B.C. Good afternoon, Paul and Rick, or good Hi. evening, and everybody. Uh, I uh, I like Bob's story. My story is uh, similar. I'm uh, 69 years old, and I've been reading and writing Braille since I was five. I don't know what I would do without it. Um, today, my two favorite uh, uh ways of uh, writing Braille is beside the Perkins Brailler, I still use the uh, 19 slate and uh, 19 cell uh, postcard slate and stylus with index cards and, I, and no one has mentioned it there's a something called a Versa slate and it's paperless and it really works well uh, I've, I've I've been using it now for about a week or so. I I acquired one, and I really like it. And I'm and I'm glad. And I'll say hello to Penny Reader because I've seen her on a lot of lists that I'm on and things like that. And uh, thank you. So so tell us tell us what the what the what the difference between a regular slate and the Versa slate is. Well, the Versa slate uses no paper at all. It is the one I have has two lines of 12 cells and there are pins. And when you press in with a stylus, it's similar to um, a, a punching braille with a slate paper. and stylus, right? Right. The Versa slate, um, you're pressing pins. And the pins form the shape of the letter. It's 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 kind of difficult to explain. Yeah, and then you flip it over, and you can and you can read what Correct. you've written on the other side. And Correct. there's a little button that you can use after you've finished writing what you want to write. And um, and and you press that little button, and all your stuff goes away, so you can write more. Or you could press one any of the dots individually uh-huh. like if you do uh, if if you do one four five which is a d and you wanted to write an e instead of a d 
you could press the dot four with your finger and, and make it'll the go dot away. Four go away. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite a little device. Yeah, and and, and they're about a hundred bucks, I think. Um, is that right, Anthony? Yeah, I think the the twelve cell. Don't quote me. Is I think eighty nine dollars, and right. the the one with the uh, forty cells, I think it's one twenty nine. Yes, um, I think you're. I think that's exactly right. And, and they're and they're, they're available from AT guys. AT if folks guys. are interested. Yep. Yeah, and the other thing is, is that there is a gentleman who I swear by, who does wonderful uh, uh, Braille repairs. And in Florida, uh, and I'm not getting anything from this. The gentleman's name is John Harden, and yep. uh, I sent a braille a brailer down to him, and he took care of it and had it back to me in like a week. It was unbelievable. Yep, and John is in Daytona Beach, Florida, I think. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's where my cousin is too. Very good, Anthony. Thank you very much for your call, and thanks for telling us about the Versus Lake, which is, which is a, uh, uh, it, it's it's the first mechanical, um, non, non um, paper um, device that 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 I know about. I mean, there there are some peg things and some and some little tiny kind of toy like train things that you can play with, but. This is the first really practical device that's come out in a while, and it actually, I think, is made in Korea. It is. So, yeah. So, Anthony, thank you very much. And, and there was another guy who, Rick, you were calling out, so we'll give him a chance since we offered him one. Yeah, Albert. Remember? Albert. Albert? Is that Mr. Anderson? Yeah, Albert, you got to unmute yourself. Wait another five or ten seconds, and then we're going to go on because I do want to be sure to to cover two things, and then I'll I'll let folks um, I will let folks talk a little more uh, right near the end of the program. I said earlier that we were in in a special place where Braille is concerned, and that's because two things are happening uh, at the same time. Uh, both of which are in the long run going to make an immense difference um, to the availability of Braille. The first thing that's happening is the National Library Service has begun testing uh, Braille displays, which they're making available in certain states. Um, and we'll, we'll cover that in the next Braille Buzz call because Aurora is going to be joining us, and we'll get her to tell you what states those are. But eventually, the expectation is uh, that the National Library Service will be making uh, those Braille displays, those e-readers, as they're called, available in all states. And when they do that, they will be available to any Braille readers who want them free of charge, and you'll get to keep them. There are lots of books that can currently be downloaded from the National Library Service's BARD website in, in Braille, and the e-reader is set up so that it can currently handle downloads from NLS. So that's exciting. But it can also, um, it also handles right now uh, NFB Newsline so that you can actually read in Braille 
um, daily newspapers when 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 you're able to get that device. So that's I cannot tell you how exciting that is because the biggest barrier to Braille displays in the past um, has been their price. Now, these are only readers. They're not note takers. So you can't take notes with this device, but it, it, it will certainly revolutionize what people can read. And there's loads of space on the device for as many Braille books as you could possibly want. Um, I think that the other thing that has happened is the Marrakesh Treaty. The Marrakesh Treaty is a treaty that the American Council of the Blind, and particularly Melanie Brunson as a lawyer, had a lot to do with negotiating um, with those folks who were in charge of international copyright. And essentially what the test, what the, what the Marrakesh Treaty says is that anyone um, who is, or any entity, it really has to be an agency uh, that meets certain criteria in every country of the world who has signed the treaty, um, is able to uh, produce books without uh, necessarily paying for any copyright, and that those books are able to be shared from country to country as well. So one of the things that uh, those of you who are Braille readers in this country will have already noticed is we're getting a number of, of Braille books from Canada, and the expectation is, uh, and we're probably getting some foreign language Braille books from other places as well. So suddenly, the amount of Braille that's going to be available in this country um, will increase. I think there's the probability that two other things will eventually happen. Uh, one of those is that uh, the National Library Service at some point, and th there's no secret about this, from probably 24 or 25, will begin to make Braille on demand available, and that will enable a person in this country to request a particular book in Braille, which they would then be able to keep. Um, so that's, that's very exciting. I'm sure there will be trade-offs. One of the issues that we have in this country is there are now very few places that are doing mass production of hard copy braille and the cost of producing hard copy braille continues to be very high so it is actually probably cheaper in the long run for nls to make uh braille displays available to folks in the national library service than it is to produce and circulate hard copy braille books so who knows what the future of the way that Braille books will end up being circulated. One of the issues that many people who, are, who would like to get Braille books is that they simply don't have room in the apartments where they live or the ability to get Braille books delivered in hard copy format. So being able to get Braille in an electronic way may make a huge amount of difference. So, those are the positive elements that we can look at. Here are the negatives and the reason that the Braille Revival League is so important. We don't think uh, that all of the children who should be learning Braille in school are being given an opportunity to learn it. We've passed state laws. We've passed federal laws. We'd have federal letters written by the Department of Education that encourages Braille. 
but we don't we don't think it's being taught to the the children who need it for adults who could potentially benefit from learning braille we believe that many of them are being persuaded that braille's too hard and it's not worth the effort and it's far easier learn to use a computer and an iPhone and and braille's just not necessary we we categorically would disagree with that and i think most of us and most of the people on this call who are braille readers would absolutely disagree with it there are some employment statistics and unfortunately they're old and i wish they were newer which suggests that whereas the most people would say that the overall unemployment rate of blind people is 70% the employment rate of blind people who are good braille readers is 80%. So it, it's almost opposite. So while 30% of blind people are working who don't know braille, 20% of those people who do are not working. So braille can make a huge difference in terms of enabling people uh, to be attractive or uh, to employers. I think that we have to find ways of ensuring that Braille training uh, is handled more. We have a whole range of committees that are that are working on this stuff um, in the Braille Revival League right now, and we would encourage many of you to join some of these committees, to join the Braille Revival League, because we need your help. Braille is the primary medium uh, for folks who are blind and, or, and visually impaired to demonstrate ongoing literacy. And while I understand that there are some folks who can't learn Braille. I, I hope that those who can will seriously consider um, learning Braille. Um, and Rick, if we can, um, since I've talked for an awfully long time, let's give Larry Johnson an opportunity to talk for a minute because I think he may have some things to add to what I've said. So, Larry, we're... Um, Okay, yes. Yeah. I, I think I'm unmuted, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, one of the points that Penny Reader brought up uh, a while ago is very, very relevant. And that is the way that particularly older people uh, are encouraged to approach Braille is probably wrong. Uh I don't believe that an older person necessarily is going to be using Braille to read uh, War and Peace or, or some lengthy novel like that. But Braille can be very utilitarian for an older person to label uh spices for example in the kitchen and we had a, a lady who gave us examples of how she was using it for that yeah and so mm -hmm. that's that's i think where we need to encourage uh these uh specialists who now are i i think they call them uh help me out paul uh they're they're called uh <laughs> I'm old like you. Uh, we used to we we used to call them rehab teachers, and and that's yeah, fine. We can still call them that. Yeah, okay, we can call them rehab teachers. But so I think one of the challenges, whether you are a Braille user or you are a uh, 
a child of a older person or a spouse of an older person who is experiencing vision loss, or you know of someone who is an older person who is experiencing vision loss, talk to them about these simple ways to use Braille in their daily life. Right. Braille playing cards and other Braille games, Scrabble. Neither of these require, require you to learn advanced Braille. Um, relatively simple Braille will in, will open up these doors for older people who are blind. We have to persuade agencies that they want and need to train these folks, and we also we also need to um, recognize that we as blind people who are Braille users are the best ambassadors for our medium of literacy that exists, and and. It's up to us, I think, to stand up and be counted to assure that that Braille doesn't go away. Because believe me, the numbers of Braille readers at, at the Library of Congress is declining. When Paul, when do I, yeah? I, I, go ahead. I'm, I'm holding in my hand right here a Father's Day card from one mm-hmm. of my daughters. And this Father's Day card was produced by an organization in Canada. I, I don't remember the name of it, but I, I was so overwhelmed when she gave me this card because it wasn't just a traditional card that say, Happy Father's Day. She wrote the message and sent it to them, and they not only printed her message on the card, but also transcribed it into Braille on a piece of transparent plastic and overlaid it over the card. It was so meaningful. And I want, again, those who may be out there who are sighted to realize how impacting that can be. Years ago, when I was a personnel manager for Southwestern Bell, then AT&T. And I interviewed uh, people every day, maybe 50 people every day. And uh, they were very short uh, clinical interviews. They lasted five minutes. So most of the people that I interviewed, you know, I didn't remember their names. But one day I received a card from one of the applicants who somehow found a resource and she sent me a thank you card in Braille. Well, you can better believe that I championed that young lady to get a job, and she did. So it can have a tremendous impact. So I just want to tell folks who may be not Braille users to realize the importance that Braille has for those of us who do use it. We have a little slogan that we're using on a cute little magnet that would be coming out and say, you know, it said Braille, Braille does what? Braille touches words. Braille is the way to give feeling to words. And it really, really does. Larry, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, so loads of problems, but, but loads of 
potential Braille has, perhaps more potential than it has ever had in, in the history uh, that Braille has been available. Um, as an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, one of the things that we're committed to do is to try to persuade the American Council of the Blind uh, to take more action to help us to make Braille more widely available, uh, more easily usable, and uh, more effective. So uh, if any of you have ideas that you think we ought to pass on to the American Council of the Blind for potential resolutions, please feel comfortable sending me an email if you'd like to do that at edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. That's edwards.paul955 at gmail.com. I would very much like to thank uh, all of the panelists who've been here tonight. You've heard loads of voices who are engaged in trying to advance uh, Braille as a means of communication for people who are blind and to recommend uh, to those people who are out there uh, a range of things that can be done with Braille. We've heard from loads of folks for whom Braille has made the difference between being able to work and not being able to work. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. As I suggested, there's still a lot that we need to do in in order to assure that Braille survives over the next 20 or 30 years. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, that the Braille Revival League is going to try to do is to set up meetings with uh, a range of organizations who are involved with the production of Braille or the teaching of Braille and see if we can't build some ability to collaborate with those organizations so that volunteers who are blind and who know Braille better than most of the folks who are currently teaching it uh, can play a part in providing the training that folks need if they want to learn Braille, uh, but but can also assure uh, that the future for Braille uh, is as bright as we think it deserves to be. So over uh, the past few weeks, we've had a, a, a fairly clear lineup of programs, and next week we are also going to uh, be a part of what is actually a pretty exciting event that's going to be happening in ACB next week, starting with Sunday edition and ending with uh, Terry Pacheco's program on Friday, Visibilities, uh, Visually Impaired Senior Abilities. And with Tuesday topics stuck in the middle, we're going to be doing training uh, for those folks who may be interested in becoming a part of ACB's legislative seminar and uh, interacting with Congress. On next week's program, we're going to be handling the, the actual interactive training on how you talk to congressmen. What sort of a personality you need to have? What sort of, what sort of speaking style works the best? Um, how can you as a blind person who may not get out in public be sure that you represent people who are blind well when you're interacting with uh, 
legislators or other public officials who you're trying to persuade to do things for you? Are there ways that you can interact as a blind person that actually make it unlikely that you're going to be successful? And are there ways that you can interact that, in fact, will optimize your capacities to be successful? We hope that many of you uh, will join uh, a, a bunch of us next week on Tuesday topics when we will be exploring how to interact appropriately with public officials. We'll have some role play, which should be amusing. And we'll also have an opportunity for all of you to fully participate and, and maybe even try a role play or two uh, if, you're, if you're brave and are inclined to do that. So that's what's coming up in Tuesday Topics, and we look forward to seeing all of you next week. We certainly haven't um, gotten to the end of the elements of Braille that we can cover on Tuesday Topics, and probably later in the year when a number of things that are being worked on now um, come to fruition, we'll, we'll do another uh, program on Braille so you can have an idea what, of what some of the new developments in the field of Braille are and some of the new things that are going to become available in Braille that you might not know about. I want to thank uh, Rick Warren and Larry Gassman, the, the producers of Tuesday Topics. As I've said many times, and as I say every week in my message, without these two folks, uh, Tuesday Topics would not be happening. They are the engine that makes Tuesday Topics go. So thank you both very much for all of the work that you've done to make Tuesday Topics the exciting program it is. I'm overjoyed at the number of you who joined us on Zoom. Sorry we didn't get to all of you who might have wanted to speak tonight, uh, but keep on trying. We don't usually have quite this many people, so your chances are much better on other programs. In the meantime, remember that you can, you can do it with feeling if you do it with Braille. Good night.